0: Welcome to the EQ Fit podcast where we talk all things performance, health and fitness for the equestrian athlete. We hope you enjoy the show and if you want more follow us on social media at proactivity EQ Fit. All right welcome everyone to the EQ Fit podcast our third episode here. Steph and I are honored today to be joined by Chris Gehagen. He is the lead strength and conditioning coach of proactivity. Um, we could probably, well, we could definitely embarrass Chris and talk about how amazing he is. He has coached, um, and programmed for athletes, um, with, you know, state level national accolades, um, conference accolades from what's your, what's your youngest athlete, Chris, that you've coached.
1: I'd say the youngest would be about eight years old, eight years old to what? 80, 80 plus probably around 80. Yeah.
0: 80 plus. So he has coached, um, athletes of all various levels to levels of excellence really, um, in their specific sport and spanning sports. Um, I've personally seen, uh, Chris coach everything from a group of um, middle school and high school cheerleaders to, um, a baseball team, to volleyball team, to, um, runners, endurance athletes, athletes into their, you know, um, late into their life everyday kind of functional athletes. So uh, a wide variety of knowledge and expertise. And I am not shy about saying that Chris is probably one of the individuals that has taught me the most about um, really principles of strength and conditioning and why our programming that we put together for our athletes is just so important to be very thoughtful that everything that we do should have methodology behind it so uh, I'll stop kind of bragging on him Chris um, you want to just share anything that I missed about yourself and maybe share a little bit about your experience into the world of strength and conditioning um, and where you are today
1: yeah a little background you know first of all probably not as great as Ali says but I try my best Um, when uh, looking at my progression into strength conditioning is kind of strange uh, started in college as a history major and during freshman orientation saw this exercise science section and I was like what the heck is that and I went over to it during my orientation and um, learned a little bit about it got into it I was like this is kind of cool like training athletes in a way other than playing their sport which to me at that time was completely new and it was like, I'm, I was injured my whole career. And all I did was play soccer year round, nothing else. And as I learned about it a little bit more, I, I really got into the concept of, of helping others to be able to stay on the field, perform their best. And, and really because I, I felt like it was something that I didn't have. And I felt it was something that could have helped me a lot. And I wanted to, to pass it forward onto, onto everybody else. That's, pretty that's nice awesome.
0: It. Yeah, I think um, that's such an important concept, and one that I didn't even speak to is the um, how not is your training really designed to help athletes perform at their best, but reduce the risk of injury, which I think is a huge piece because you can be the greatest athlete and at your absolute peak. And um, if you're sidelined because of an injury, then you, you know, not only let yourself down, but can let your team down. So, Great to have you on today, Chris. Um, I will say I will add to that one of the intangibles that I hope we can get into a little bit today is just the environment that Chris really creates for his athletes. It's one where excellence is just um, the natural byproduct of being involved. And I think there's a tremendous amount of thought and intention behind the environment that you create, both the physical environment, the social environment, um, the language that you use, the routines that you have with your athletes. So Um, it's something that was really a foundational part of wanting to start EQFit is how do we recreate that environment, um, for the equestrian athlete where it's, where it's badly needed. So welcome, Chris, thanks for being here and, uh, we'll dive into it. So our topic kind of specifically for today, at least to kick things off, is we want to talk about training specificity. It's one of the principles of strength and conditioning, um, being specific in our programming or strength and conditioning programming or the exercises that we have athletes do, being specific in a way that it carries over into their sport and I think this sometimes gets lost for equestrian athletes they'll be engaging in a fitness program and it may be an excellent program for their overall health and fitness um, but not always going to have the maximum amount of specificity for their sport or carryover so Chris can you talk a little bit about um, how you incorporate specificity why you think it's important and just some background on that principle.
1: Yeah, I think a great way to first understand specificity and is to look at the black and white. When you're training an athlete, you understand what they need to do. Um, baseball is a great example of a pure strength power endeavor. And then on the opposite end, looking at a marathoner that is on the total other end is purely endurance. Those two will need to be trained in pretty different ways. Um, And that's a a good first look at specificity. When you're looking at a baseball player, they need to be strong, they need to be fast. They'd be able to throw a ball fast, they'd be able to swing the bat fast and long duration activity, like a marathon training would not help that athlete. All right, so we need to train them a little bit differently. And then when you look at a marathoner, um, and this is where things get a little strange, uh, they're going to be doing that long duration activity, um, but, where they're lacking is sometimes in strength and in power. So when you're looking at specificity, it's not just looking at what they need for their sport. It's also looking at what things inside of their activity are they missing? So the baseball athlete needs more strength and power, and they're going to be missing a little bit of endurance. And they may need some, some longer duration type low intensity work to build up a base level just to help for recovery. Nothing crazy. But then the marathoner already has that. They may not be doing much strength and power work and you may need to build that strength and power, uh, just to help them into, uh, in their running. Uh, it's a, it's a fine balance of looking at specificity from the sport and individual level and requires assessing and not guessing into what you're doing. And it's not always going to be what many people see it as, which would be trying to recreate the sport. We're not trying to recreate it. We're trying to fill in the gaps and strengthen the areas that need to be strengthened and also strengthen the areas that could become weak. It's the most specific training you could do for a sport is playing your sport. Uh, We want to fill in the gaps around that.
0: Love that. I think that makes so much sense. And we see this in our equestrian athletes of of course, we want to incorporate things that are going to translate over into the saddle. The best example we give is like core work that translates over. Sit-ups don't really translate over into the saddle, right? We don't, we're never on a horse doing that motion, but core stability, we're removing our arms and legs certainly does. Um, but we'll often program in cardiovascular exercise, endurance ex- exercise, because that's often a gap unless we're doing very specific events that are on the ground. So I think that that balance is huge Um, and we can certainly get lost in trying to be so specific um, that we miss the opportunity to, to capture the gap. So I think that makes perfect sense. Steph, any thoughts or anything to add there?
2: Oh, no, I I mean, I couldn't agree more. Like, I think Chris does a great job of simplifying, um, you know, the black and white, um, but it does take kind of a really um, special, Thought process of kind of trickling a little bit of everything in, in the right mixture into a program and I think that's why um, you know we're so lucky to kind of both have worked with Chris in the past and be able to keep all those in mind as we as we take those programs and and make them for our athletes so couldn't agree more
0: Chris you said something you said assess don't guess and I've heard you say that before but um, I love that. Can you kind of speak to that phrase and literally what that looks like when you're working with your athletes and why you find that to be so important?
1: Yeah, and, and assessing doesn't always have to be a specific assessment that you put together. Um, every single time you watch an athlete move, you should be assessing what they're doing, and you're every single time they do anything, and it's an assessment. Uh, when I'm talking about assess, don't guess. We don't want to make interventions and create programs um, just based on thinking they need something. Um, a good example may be, and, and i work worked with a uh, lot with some golf athletes, um, looking at a, a golfer, you know, they need to have rotation in the thoracic spine. They need to be able to rotate. Now you can automatically toss in a blanket rotation work, but if you don't assess that individual, you may not find, you may not know that they already have that rotation. So we don't need to train something that they already have just because the sport may call for it, You wanna assess where they are to see what they need uh, for their specific task, not just do it because you think the sport requires it. There's a balance of finding what the individual needs for their body to to complete their task, as well as understanding the demands of the sport. We need to marry the two uh, so that we are not just attacking the sport, Um, not just the individual we are combining the two and trying to get the individual to that that task in, in their activity or their sport or whatever it is all right so assessing lets you understand what they have and that guides you to find out what they need makes total sense total sense i
0: think um It's easy. I find myself sometimes getting in the habit of after having done a lot of like assessments on the horse to see something, an imbalance or um, difficulty with something in the saddle, and then just assume that I know what the underlying cause is. But um, every time I think that I can do that. And then I actually go in and assess to figure out, okay, is it a um, imbalance in thoracic upper back mobility, or is it coming from the hips, or is it coming from an issue somewhere else in the body? Um, I'm humbled by remembering like, yeah, we can't just assume that every equestrian needs the same thing. And so that's very interesting and makes sense. Steph, you had brought up a good point when we were kind of chatting beforehand about how this kind of carries over into, um, the equestrian sport, maybe why it's important for us to be thinking about this concept. Do you want to, do you want to dive into that one?
2: Yeah. So, um, my, my thought was just kind of revolved around the idea of, um, we talked sport specificity and how, um, we need to practice in a strengthening manner, like what it is we're going to be doing with that sport. Um, but also with regard to that, um, it does play in how the coach or the trainer um, is able to, uh, produce those workouts or, um, basically provide, you know, the correct exercises and how, um, when there's that connection of kind of knowing what's involved in the sport, how that can play a really important role. So, um, you know, a good question for you, Chris is like you said, you work with a lot of golf athletes. I've seen you work with athletes, like all across the board, from lacrosse to volleyball, to, um, baseball, what have you. Um, but say you had um, an athlete that was doing a sport that you weren't familiar with, um, how does that affect how you do your programming um, in terms of that, you know, maybe not being exactly sure what it is that's required of them?
1: And that's a great question. And it's really important across the board to understand where your own personal limitations are. And if somebody comes in and they are you know, and, and this actually started with golf for me, um, came in working with golf athletes. And I was like, honestly, I don't know anything. And what I actually did, you know, you go online and, and you do a little bit of research, you find people that, you know, and you trust and you ask them questions, but the best way to, to do it is, is to dive in. And that's what I did myself. I actually started a swinging club and I learned about the game that way. But, you know, that may not be realistic for everything, but it's just, if you care enough to spend the time to learn everything that you can about that sport so that you can provide the best service to that individual, um, the easy route is always to just assume, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I I saw it once and, and just go from there, but you're going to have to spend some serious time learning the ins and outs. There's levels to everything. And you don't want to be stuck on the side of the Dunning-Kruger effect where you read an online article and you think you know everything. Uh, you need to learn as much as you can to get to the point where you realize you don't, know, you don't know anything so that you could ask even more questions and dive in a little bit deeper and really get an understanding before you try to make recommendations that are above your head.
2: I think that's a great point. Um, and I think like Ellie and I can both relate, like even as um, physical therapists that provide this coaching program for equestrians, we both grew up riding horses. Both of our husbands are horse trainers. So we're immersed in the, the world of it. Um, but even with that, I think we both still find ourselves, you know, Allie, you can probably <laughs> expand a little more, but we, we both find ourselves kind of breaking down and, and trying to, to find every little piece and part of like why something doesn't feel right or isn't working or how we can make something better um you know from that athlete standpoint on the horse but I think it really does make a difference to be able to have that understanding of what is expected of that athlete by by doing the sport yourself so um Ellie if you want to touch on that anymore go for it
0: yeah I think in our world it shows up as different disciplines right like i when I was younger did some events I did a wide variety I guess of events um but I've never done high level eventing I've never done high level dressage you know so when we have equestrian athletes that come to us from different disciplines I think it's being um to your point Chris like really humble enough to say listen I know a lot of information about the human body and how um you know kind of the human body interacts with the horse's body but I need you to give me feedback on your sport. Like what, you know, and I think I've yet to encounter someone that when you're honest about what you know and what you don't know, um, that they aren't just totally refreshed. They're just so grateful to have someone that's even willing to try to speak the same language or can speak any of the same language. So I think that is really profound. In follow-up, Chris, kind of, I guess, switching gears a little bit and think, I was just thinking about Um, I've seen you run group classes where there may be kind of, um, one program, but every athlete is doing something different. That's based on them on their sport, when they need to peak, they might be in a different training cycle. Um, and you know, I remember my, my first day shadowing you at proactivity, one of our other team members said like, this is, this is mastery level of this craft to be able to run a class of, you know, 15 plus kids. And each of them maybe do it, they're doing the same basic idea, but um, in a million different ways. So can you speak to what you see as really the benefit between um, uh, like really personalized individual one-on-one coaching versus having that group atmosphere, but everyone's still getting um, something a little different based on their needs?
1: Yeah, the, I, I think when you start off with a one-on-one type of look, I think one-on-one stuff is, is good for somebody that's very, very new and needs to learn the basics. And I also see it as useful for somebody whose task is, is very, very, very specific and you need to dive in a little bit more into their body. But I always think the progression is to get to the group environment um, because when you get into those groups and you have a collection of like-minded people that are all trying to improve, or all trying to get better. It's, it's going to push you to a different level. It's hard to push yourself when you are solo and you don't have that little bit of competitive edge. You may not feel it. It may not be able to see it, but when you have those groups together, it's there. And whether they may not be outwardly pushing each other. The fact that they're together, they are doing it. And I always find it to be a benefit to get inside of a group where others are holding you accountable and you have that extra little bit of motivation to push yourself forward. We're talking about programming into big groups. Um, It's really important to have a system. Without a system of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to approach, it's going to be nearly impossible to branch out and make those small individual tweaks that you need to have for each person. Uh, We work on six primary movements that we're gonna do with, with every single body. And then having that system allows me to branch those movements out into more specific pieces that may work better for the individual, for their body and what their body needs, or for the sport and what the sport needs. But starting with the system, and then breaking it down. And even another piece that that can be missed a lot is what the individual needs biologically, where they are in their biological age, not just their chronological age. Uh, When you have uh, some pubescent kids, prepubescent, the training sets, reps, volume exercises can change based on that. And having that system in place so that you could quickly adjust and change what you're doing based on where somebody is in their overall development. There's a lot of factors that go into it and trying to make it as simple as possible so that your head isn't spinning all over the place is very, very important.
0: Makes total sense. Yeah, it's art really, seeing it in motion. Um, It's art and science like come together and it's really incredible, so. Anyone uh, that has not made the trip to Base Camp activities kind of home-based location in New Jersey. You should stop in for a workout and watch Chris do his magic. Chris, I want to shift gears just a little bit um, and talk about, we've talked a lot about specificity and what that looks like and really what that means. But I want to open it up to get your thoughts on what are maybe, what is maybe the another um, principle of training and strength and conditioning that you think is the most important for athletes to be aware of, as well as other um, strength and conditioning coaches?
1: Outside of assessing, um, progressing. I see too many people that are without guidance or may so hear of them and see them that are without guidance, that continue to do the same thing over and over again. And if you're not progressing, you're not getting better. And progression doesn't always have to be the amount of weight that you're doing. There's so many different variables that you can progress, but you need to be taking steps forward all the time, whether you are progressing your exercises by adding a rep every week or every two weeks, adding five pounds, adding a set, or another piece that gets not as much, uh, not as much love is changing speeds, changing tempos. Maybe you work the constructive portion a little bit faster and you work on speed, or if you need to work on control, maybe you slow down the eccentric portion, but trying to progress things and change them so that you're not stuck in the exact same spot. You're always moving forward. That's
0: really good. I think, um, It's easy to a lot of times we're working with minimal equipment and um, maybe body weight or things lying around or things found out in the barn. And so we have to get creative to your point and how we progress, how we really track progression over time. Um, Do you have any tips of ways that you have that either you're tracking your athletes progress over time or that you have your athletes do that you think is helpful for them to see their their progression over time and make sure they're moving in the right direction?
1: Yeah, actually. I'm a little bit opposite to the world as technology has taken off. I've taken a bit of a step back. Um, I prefer a nice marble composition, notebook, pen, a notebook. You got tons of pages on it. What I like to do is keep all of the movement patterns that are be that we similar, right? So say we're using a unilateral knee dominant exercise that we're going to progress and it's going to be a split squat. I like to keep that split squat on the same row. So days will be columns and then exercises will be rows. You'll run down the column, all the exercises you're doing. And then the next time you train, you'll move, you'll move over a column and say the split squat, the last time you did three sets of five with 20 pounds. Now, if we're going to progress it, split squat will be right next to the other split squat and maybe we'll go three sets of six and that allows you to track that exact movement, that exact progression over a very, very long period of time. Uh, if you come in here, you'll see cubbies with hundreds of notebooks, just all stacked up from all the different groups. And you know, this is where we also write down you know, our, our KPIs, our key performance indicators, which we use a 10-yard dash, a 510-5 shuttle, a vertical jump, and they'll keep track of all of those inside of their notebook and every few weeks um we'll just have them put it into a google form so that we have it stored somewhere uh, on the technology side so we could always pull it and look at it but if it's as simple as as pen and paper just write it down if you write it down you can always go back and see where you were so that you can look where you're gonna go
0: love that i uh as a pen and paper girl at heart my heart is singing so i love that me too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very cool and I think it is cool to have we implemented uh through your influence Chris kind of a into our virtual EQ fit programs a baseline test workout that tries to measure four aspects of equestrian strength and fitness and um, we'll intermittently have our groups do it our teams do it just to be able to track progress over time and see one where is an individual athletes holes and areas of progress but two, as coaches, is there, are we globally not seeing the progress we want to see in core strength, for example, or, and it allows us to, you know, take an honest look at our programming and say, are we really hitting things in the way that we need to, to progress things? So you are having a, uh, a influence beyond those walls. We'll say that yes. last topic I want to, um, hit on before we wrap up. I mentioned earlier that I think one of the other things, um, outside of just the, you know very Uh, logistical things of programming that you do so well is creating an environment that where growth happens and where um, people come in and maybe they're having a bad day, but they leave feeling empowered, they feel stronger, they feel better. And we just know how much that um, just even the psychology piece of that influences um, success, right, in many avenues of life, including sports. So can you just speak to what that means to you and why you put so much emphasis on, um, the environment that you create and uh, some of the routines you have with your athletes.
1: I think that this is the most important part of working specifically with youth athletes. Um, as coaches, we have a lot of, we have a lot of influence in not only what they're going to do now, but how they view things in the future. Um, when, Athletes come into the door here. We're not only training them for exercise and their sport, but we're teaching a growth mindset number one, right? That's why it's so important to track things because there's strength conditioning is so unique in that you can easily show progress and you can easily show that when you show up and you do something and you try and you work hard, you will get better. And that thought can carry into anything else. And when you learn that about yourself, it's so important to 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 know that you can get better. I see so so often that people are fixed in in what they think, and that they are just what they are. But you're not. You you are today. You are today based on you are today what you did yesterday, and you'll be tomorrow what you do today. And if you keep on progressing and doing your best, you will get better. And when we're looking at youth athletes as well, just teaching the, the mindset, um, we are creating an association with exercise. So if I have young kids coming in and, you know, I'm yelling at them and every time they do something silly, I'm making them sprint back and forth and do a hundred push-ups. What kind of correlation to exercise and a healthy lifestyle am I, am I teaching? that running and doing exercise is punishment for bad behavior. So then when you get older and you need to exercise for health and fitness reasons, um, maybe in the back of your head, you're not going to want to, because you feel like you did something wrong. Uh, I want to create a positive association with feelings of training and exercise for health so that inevitably when sport ends, uh, we can continue to enjoy to train and continue to, to love it. The best reward to me is not the, the accolades or winning tournaments or those types of things. It's really when I have an athlete that goes to college and isn't playing a sport anymore. And they reach out to me and they ask about training programs they could do at school. And they don't need to, per se, because they're not playing that sport anymore, but they still want to do it for themselves. And that's the most powerful thing. Um, I'll take that any day over winning whatever it is. If you find a positive relationship with exercise and you want to do it forever and I'm creating stronger and happier people, that's all I could ask for.
0: Wow. That's profound. And, uh, I think there's probably no better way to end. I'll say that, um, every now and then Chris will still send me a video of, um, you know, a a young female athlete. Lifting something heavy, doing something heavy that that you know that maybe when they walked in the door they didn't think they could do, and through knowing that someone else believed in them and giving them the tools to do it for themselves, when they're able to achieve it, um, the look on their face and the pride I hear in Chris's voice when he says "yeah" or kind of cheers them on, um, it gives me chills. It brings tears to my eyes, and I think what you just said speaks to why those moments are so valuable and so important. So. Um, Chris, I thank you. Any closing remarks, Chris? And then we'll see if any, if Steph has any closing remarks,
1: words of wisdom, just enjoy yourself, enjoy your training, do your best in whatever you're doing and have a good time. Couldn't ask. That's really all that I ask for, for, from anybody. Beautiful. Steph, <laughs>
0: any final thoughts.
2: No, I just love, I just love listening to Chris. Cause he just, you know, puts out such simple words of wisdom, but yet it's also deep at the same time. So um, I you know I've really enjoyed working with him in the past. And I think that um, every time we kind of get together and talk like this, it's, it just kind of brings back all those important parts that you almost forget and, and just how profound that group environment is and how that um, sense of success and excellence just kind of like breathes in the air at at productivity. So Um, It was a great little chat today. I appreciated it. It was um, good to talk to everybody, but I I couldn't agree more. And um, thanks, Chris, for for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much, Chris. And uh, we'll hope to have you back on in the future.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: thanks so much for listening to today's episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feedback, comments. So send us a message on social media at proactivityeqfit and we'll look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you next time.